Chapter Twelve of the Surprising Adventures of Bamfield Moore Carew, King of the Beggars, by Bamfield Moore Carew. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The first house he went to was a barber's, of whose assistance he had indeed need enough, not having shaved his beard since he left the ship. Here he told a moving story, saying his name was John Elworth of Bristol, that he had been artfully kidnapped by one Samuel Ball of the same place, and gone through great hardships in making his escape. The good barber moved by his tale willingly lent his assistance to take off his beard. During the operation he entered into a good deal of chat, telling him his father was of Exeter, and when he went away gave him a half-crown bill and he recommended him to Mr. Wiggle, a Quaker of the same place. Here he told his moving story again, and got a ten-shilling bill from Mr. Wiggle, with recommendations to the rest of the Quakers of the place, among whom he got a great deal of money. When he took his leave he was recommended by them to the Quakers of a town called Castile. Here he found a great deal of favor, and made the best of his way to Brandywine Ferry, in which is room enough to lay up the whole royal navy of england and from thence to chester so called because the people who first settled there came for the most part from cheshire it contains above a hundred houses and a very good road for shipping the delaware on which it stands being about three miles over here are a courthouse and a prison this place is also called Upland, and has a church dedicated to St. Paul, with a numerous congregation of those whom, exclusive of all other Christians, we call Orthodox. Mr. Carew came here on Sunday, stayed all the night, and the next morning he inquired out one Mrs. Turner, a Quaker who formerly lived in Embercombe by Minehead in Somersetshire. From her he got a bill and a recommendation to some Quakers at Derby about five miles further, where she told him he would find Mr. Whitfield. On hearing this he set out for Derby, but before he reached there was overtaken by hundreds of people going to hear Mr. Whitfield preach. Friend, says he to one of them, where are you going so fast? Hast thou not heard, friend, says the other, the second Christ is come. He then joined them, and they all proceeded to Derby, where he found Mr. Whitfield preaching in an orchard, but could not get near enough to hear his discourse by reason of the great concourse of people. However, he seemed to be affected with it, and strictly imitated the Quakers in all their sighs, groans, lifting up of the eyes, etc. Leaving them, he went to the sign of the ship, and inquiring where Mr. Whitfield lodged that night, was told at the justice's, who was a miller. He then asked if he could have a bed there that night, and being told that he might, he passed the evening very cheerfully. In the morning he asked for pen, ink, and paper, soon drew up a moving petition in the name of John Moore, the son of a clergyman who had been taken on board the Tiger, Captain Matthews, and carried into the Havana, from whence he had got his redemption by means of the governor of Annapolis, that he was in the most deplorable circumstances, having nothing to help himself with, and hoped he would commiserate his condition. Having finished his petition, away he went to the miller's house, where Mr. Whitfield lodged, and found a hundred people waiting at the door to speak to that gentleman. Looking narrowly around, he espied a young lad whom he found belonged to Mr. Whitfield, 
and going up to him very civilly he begged he would do an unfortunate man the kindness to present that paper giving him his petition to mr whitfield and as soon as they perceived him the quakers pressed round him one crying pray thee friend come and pray by my dear wife and another pray thee friend come and see my dear brother mr whitfield made his way through them all as well as he could towards mr carew whom the young lad pointed out to him when he came up to him he kindly said that he was heartily sorry for his misfortunes but that we were all liable to them that they happened by the will of god and therefore it was our duty to submit to them with patience and resignation then pulling out his pocket-book he gave him three or four pounds of that county paper money mr carew returned him thanks with all the marks of the most lively gratitude and mr whitfield wishing him well to england went away singing psalms with those that were about him and we make no doubt but mr carew joined with them in the melody of the heart for the good success he had had with mr whitfield from hence bamfield was only seven miles to the city of philadelphia which is one of the finest in all america and one of the best laid out cities in the world it is the capital of pennsylvania and were it full of houses and inhabitants according to the proprietor's plan it would be a capital fit for a great empire yet it is a large city considering its late foundation most commodiously situated between two navigable rivers the delaware and schuylkill he designed the town in form of an oblong square extending two miles in length from one river to the other the long streets eight in number and two miles in length he cut in right angles by others of one mile in length and sixteen in number all straight and spacious he left proper spaces for markets parades quays meeting-houses schools hospitals and other public buildings there are a great number of houses and it increases every day in buildings which are all carried on regularly according to the first plan the city has two fronts on the water, one on the east side facing the Schuylkill, and the other on the west facing the Delaware, which is near two miles broad and navigable three hundred miles at least for small vessels. The eastern part is the most populous on account of the Schuylkill, which is navigable eight hundred miles above the falls. We have observed that each front of the street was to be two miles from river to river as it was at first laid out but one cannot suppose that it is finished in that manner the streets that run against the schuylkill are three-quarters of a mile in length the houses are stately the wharves and warehouses numerous and convenient this city flourished so much at first that there were near a hundred houses great and small in it in less than a year's time and it has made answerable progress since that period the number of houses at this time being about two thousand and generally speaking better edifices than in the cities of england a few excepted and those only in a few streets all the houses have large orchards and gardens belonging to them the land on which the city stands is high and firm and the convenience of covered docks and springs have very much contributed to the commerce of this place where many rich merchants now reside some of whom are so wealthy that they keep their coaches ships may ride in six or seven fathoms water with a very good anchorage 
the land about it is a dry wholesome level all owners of one thousand acres and upwards have their houses in the two fronts facing the rivers and in the high street running from the middle of one front to the middle of the other every owner of one thousand acres has about an acre in front and the smaller purchasers about half an acre in the back streets by which means the least has room enough for a house garden and small orchard high street is a hundred feet broad so is broad street which is in the middle of the city running from north to south in the centre is a square of ten acres for the state house market house and schoolhouse as before hinted the names of the streets here denote the several sorts of timber that are common in pennsylvania as mulberry street sassafras street chestnut street walnut street beech street ash street vine street cedar street there are also king street broad street high street their courthouse is built of brick and under it is a prison several houses on the quay are worth four or five thousand pounds and thirteen ships have been on the stocks at a time some hundreds have been built there the cellars and warehouses on the quay are made over the river three stories high here are two fairs in a year and two markets in a week it sends two members to the assembly the inhabitants were at first mostly quakers and so they continue it was some time before there was a church built after the manner of england but as soon as one was built it was called christ church it had in a few years a very numerous congregation and king william ordered an allowance of fifty-three pounds a year to the minister which with voluntary contributions made a very handsome provision for him there are about twelve hundred of the inhabitants that are of this congregation who have for some years had the benefit of the organ and though it looked and sounded strange to the quakers at first yet they are now so far reconciled to it as to bear with their neighbors having it without grumbling there are besides this several meeting-houses viz for the quakers who are properly the church as by law established being the originals the presbyterians the baptists and a spanish church according to the plan there is in each quarter of the city a square of eight acres intended for the same uses as were moorfields in london walks and exercises for the citizens the great dock is formed by an inlet of the river delaware at the south corner of the front of the wharves and has a bridge over it at the entrance several creeks run into the city out of the two rivers and there is no city in holland that is so naturally accommodated with fine and commodious canals as this might very easily be the quay is beautiful about two hundred feet square to which a ship of five hundred tons may lay her broadside and as these surprising advantages have already rendered it one of the best trading towns in the british empire out of europe so in all probability it will continue to increase in commerce riches and buildings till for number and magnificence it will have no equal in america where the french have not nor are likely to have anything like it here are almost all sorts of trades and mechanics as well as merchants and planters here the assemblies and courts of judicature are held and the business of the province is chiefly managed as in all capitals here are printing-houses and several newspapers published 
in a word here are all things necessary for an englishman's profit and pleasure mr carew walking through the high street had a mind to refresh himself with a nip of punch the first public-house he chanced to come to was kept by an irishman and asking him if he sold punch yes my dear honey replied the man arrah says mr carew are you my countryman dear joy quite in the irish brogue yes replied the man what do you belong to one of our vessels no but i belong to captain dubois of dublin who was taken off the capes and carried into the havana arrah dear joy i know captain dubois very well replied the irishman come in accordingly in went mr carew the irishman was so well pleased with his countryman for giving a very particular account of many places in ireland and counterfeiting the brogue extremely well he did not suspect him to be any other that he entertained him kindly and they passed the day merrily together the next morning his host takes him out to see the city mr carew did not content himself with idly gazing as most of our modern travellers do but diligently inquired the names of the principal merchants and places and informed himself of all those circumstances which could be of any service to him at length seeing a very fine house he inquired whose it was and being told proprietor penn's who was just come from england with his brother-in-law captain frame he takes leave of his host telling him he had a little business to transact and would be at home presently for he should be able to find his way back without his staying for him having thus got rid of the irishman he claps his right hand into his coat as if he had lost the use of it and then going up to the proprietor's knocks at the door which was opened to him by a negro with a silver collar round his neck he inquired if the proprietor lived there and if he was at home being told he was pray tell him says he that a poor man desires the favour of speaking with him the negro then bid him come into the court soon after out came the proprietor very plainly dressed and his brother captain frame in his regimentals the proprietor came up to him inquiring who he was and what he wanted with him he replied he was a poor unfortunate man who craved his honour's charitable assistance that his name was john dawkins of the city of exeter and that he belonged to captain davis ship of that place who was taken near the capes captain frame seeing him a lusty tall fellow presently cries out revenge revenge my brave boy you shall go along with me and fight the dogs mr carew replied with a sigh that he should be glad to do that but that it was his misfortune by the severities and hardships in prison to have lost the use of his right arm by the dead palsy this moved their compassion so much that each of them gave him a guinea the proprietor telling him he would take care to send him home with captain reed who would sail very soon then asking him if he had been at the governor's and he replying in the negative the proprietor told him he should go there for he was a very good-natured man and would assist him then calling to the black he bid him show the poor man to the governor's as they were going along he informed himself of the black what countryman the governor was and being told a welshman and his name thomas he took care to make his advantage of it 
when he came to the governor's and inquired for him he was told he was walking in the garden while he was waiting for his coming out in came the proprietor and his brother and going into the garden they represented his case to the governor who coming in inquired where he was born etc he told them as he had before done the proprietor and added that he had married betty larky parson griffy's maid of wales and that the parson had a son at bishop's nympton in devon the governor replied he knew the parson very well and likewise betty larky and after he had asked him some questions about them which mr carew answered very readily he gave him two guineas in this manner did he apply to the most of the principal merchants of philadelphia always suiting some circumstances of his story in particular to the person he applied to which he did by diligently inquiring what places they came from in england who were their friends and acquaintance and the like which he knew how to suit most to his purpose captain reed being now ready to sail and mr carew having a curiosity of seeing more of the country he thought proper to leave philadelphia without taking leave of any of his good friends there from this place he went into buckingham county where he inquired for one george boone a justice of the peace in that county who formerly lived in bradnick in devon his father being a weaver there here he went by his own name telling him he had been taken prisoner and carried into the havana where he had lain many months the justice having known his father very well entertained him generously showing him the country and giving him three guineas at his departure to help to pay his passage from thence he went to burlington the first town in west new jersey which contains about two hundred and fifty families and has an answerable number of acres laid out for plantations the houses are well built and almost all of brick the market affords plenty of all sorts of provisions which are as good here as anywhere in america from thence to perth amboy so called in honour of the duke of perth it is at the mouth of the rantan which runs into sandy hook bay and is able to contain five hundred ships the plan of this city was laid out very regularly and spaciously the plot of ground was divided into one hundred and fifty shares for purchasers to build upon four acres are preserved for a market-place and three for public wharfage very useful things if there had been inhabitants trade and shipping the town being thus skilfully and commodiously laid out some scots began building especially a house for the governor which was then as little wanted as a wharf or a market the whole plan of the city consists of one thousand and seventy-nine acres and there are two good roads from it to piscataqua and woodbridge ships in one tide can come up to the port and be at the merchant's doors though of three hundred tons burden but the perth city has not above two or three hundred men women and children from thence over a ferry into a town called trent town in staten island and from thence over brunswick ferry to east jersey where he found out a mr matthews a miller who formerly lived at white church near lyme in dorset and making use of his old story of having been taken he was received by mr matthews with great hospitality he kept him three days in his house and would have entertained him still longer 
at his departure he gave him a guinea with several letters of recommendation and remitted letters by him to his friends in england sending his servant with him as far as elizabeth town which is three miles within a creek opposite to the west end of staten island here the first english settlement was made and if any place in the jerseys may be said to have thriven it is this for notwithstanding the endeavours of the proprietors to make a capital of perth by calling it a city elizabeth town has near six times the number of inhabitants containing above two hundred and fifty families and forty thousand acres of land laid out here the proprietors have a plantation which goes by the name of their farm the government of the province is here managed courts are kept assemblies held and the greatest part of the trade of the colony carried on here he met with one mr nicholas a cornishman who gave him a ten shilling note and recommended him to one mr anderson in long island sometimes called nassau island stretching from fairfield county in a fine spot of ground one hundred and fifty miles in length and twenty in breadth here he changed his religion and turned presbyterian most of the inhabitants being of that denomination he travelled quite through the island and then crossed over a ferry into block island from whence there are great quantities of timber transported to the town of boston soon after crossing another ferry he came into new york which is a very fine city there are now about one thousand one hundred houses and near seven thousand inhabitants in it the houses are well built the meanest of them is said to be worth one hundred pounds which cannot be said of any city in england the great church here was built in the year sixteen ninety five and is a very handsome edifice here are also a dutch church a french church and a lutheran church the inhabitants of the dutch extraction make a very considerable part of the town but most of them speaking english one may suppose they went pretty much to the great church especially all those that are and hope to be in offices here he was surprised at the sight of a great number of gibbets with blacks hanging upon them but upon inquiring he found the negroes had not long before entered into a conspiracy for burning the whole city however the plot being timely discovered great numbers were executed and hung up to terrify others his first care here was to inquire the names circumstances families and countries of the principal inhabitants of the city amongst the rest he inquired out captain lush who was formerly of carmouth by lyme in dorsetshire to whom he had recommendatory letters from mr matthews of east jersey he was received very hospitably by captain lush who likewise gave him two shirts and informed him there was no ship ready to sail for england there but that he would find one at new london having found there was one mr lucas formerly of taunton in somersetshire in new york and judging he was brother to mr lucas of brampton in devon whom he knew very well he went boldly to his house which was in the fish shambles and knocking at the door it was opened to him by a negro he inquired if mr lucas was at home and before the negro could give him an answer out came mr lucas with a little boy and demanded what he wanted he replied he was an englishman born in devonshire who had the misfortune to be cast away in a ship behind long island 
and hearing his name was lucas he had made bold to apply to him for his assistance as he was very well acquainted with his brother mr lucas of brampton mr lucas asked him if he could tell him whom his brother married he replied mrs mary tristam do you know huntsome yes replied he and mr beer who first courted mrs tristam and how many children has my brother to this likewise mr carew answered very exactly and mr lucas being convinced by this of his being no impostor bid him come in telling him he expected his younger brother there in three weeks time he was entertained here very generously and at his departure mr lucas gave him two guineas from thence he went through seabrake and seaford to new london which is situated on a river called the thames the first branch of which river goes by the name of glass river the next branch by that of russell's delight and the third by that of indian river there is a small river which falls into the sea at manchester the trade of shipbuilding flourishes here he now inquired if there were none of the name of davy in that city and being asked why he replied they were near heirs to a fine estate near crediton in devon formerly belonging to sir john davy he was then shown to two ancient sisters of sir john davy whose sons were timbermen they asked a great many questions about the family and he told them that sir john davy was dead and his eldest son also who had left two sons that the youngest brother humphrey davy was then living at creedy house and the little boys somewhere about exeter then they gave him two letters to give to mr humphrey davy after which each gave him a guinea with recommendations to one justice miller and captain rogers who was bound for england justice miller received him very kindly with whom he agreed to take a run to england for ten gallons of rum ten pounds of sugar ten pounds of tobacco and ten pipes End of chapter twelve